For the reading of God's holy word, we'll turn to Luke 4. Luke 4, as we continue through the gospel of Luke, um, this is God's holy and infallible word, and we'll stand to give honor to the word of the Lord as we read Luke 4, starting at verse 31. Luke 4, 31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with, with authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by the, by, uh, the spirit of, an un, of the unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? You, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, we thank you that you gave your Son, Jesus Christ, who had that spirit of power and authority upon him, even Jesus, the eternal Son. We thank you, O Father, for Jesus, our Lord, And we pray that you would give us faith to see and receive and believe upon him for eternal life. Help us as we listen to your word preached, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. You might ask yourself, why do I follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Well, some would say, well, he was a great teacher. He was the best teacher there ever was, they would say. Now, um, others, and I I had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, and we had a discussion about who Jesus was and his identity. They would believe that he was a first created being, like the, the most powerful first created angel, but not the eternal Son of God. Well, we had some talk but they didn't want to come back uh, for another conversation. But why do you uh, follow the Lord Jesus? The events recorded in this passage tell us why the saints of old who heard the preaching of Jesus, who saw the ministry of Jesus, why they followed him and why they believed in him. And I believe in today's text you'll find reasons why you ought to have faith in Jesus Christ as well. Our text this morning gives us good reasons why we ought to follow him. Today's text follows um, the beginning of the chapter, which talks about uh, the beginning of Christ's active, personal, uh, public ministry. Um, If you look back at verse 14, it says, Jesus uh, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the district. 
he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. The same spirit that led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one then led him to go and into this region and preach and teach in their synagogues. Then, this, then the Holy Spirit led him to return back to his home synagogue, which was in Nazareth. When he goes into Nazareth, he was not received in this same fashion. Um, he, was, he wasn't really welcomed at all. In uh, Luke 4, 24, uh, Jesus attributed the fact that no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Um, surely Jesus wasn't welcome in his hometown. Um, that was especially the case for him. He rebuked uh, the people in the synagogue for their lack of faith. He cited two examples of Old Testament Gentiles that had faith, whereas the people of Israel did not have faith, and basically made the comparison to them being like them. Well, they didn't like that. So what did they want to do? They wanted to throw them off a cliff. Go back home and return to your hometown. You want to get thrown off the cliff. Well, it says in the text at the end, uh, end of that episode that he passed through the midst of them and escaped. Um, and then we, he moves on further north uh, to Capernaum. And he, he was teaching along in Capernaum, which is nearby the Sea of Galilee. So we look at today's text. What we'll see is the life and ministry of Jesus pointed to his divine authority. The life and ministry of Jesus, especially the preaching of Jesus, pointed to his divine authority. We'll see this in two main points. Christ's authority in preaching, and secondly, Christ's authority over demons. Let's look at this first main point, Christ's authority in preaching. Um, Verse 31 and And then verse 32, he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. And verse 32, maybe you have not seen it before, but there is a great difference between how the preaching of Jesus was received in comparison to the preaching of the Jewish scribes, priests, Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, The word here regarding the preaching of Jesus in the Greek could also be translated astonished, as it is in the New King James at ESV. Now, you can imagine somebody listening to Jesus with their jaw hanging down and their eyes wide open. They were astonished. They had never heard preaching like that before. And a lot of the reason was because they were used to some preaching from men like the Sadducees. If you remember uh, this little, this little way, memory tool, um, the Sadducees were sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They, they were sad, you see? And can you imagine somebody getting up there and preaching and they don't really believe the Word of God and what it says? They were kind of akin to the, the theological liberals of our day. Somebody getting up there preaching, and they're not really sure if this is God's word or not. If I wasn't sure if this is God's word or not, I would have a hard time preaching to you. This, it would be pretty difficult in preaching if I didn't believe this is God's holy word. But I'm assured, and I hope you're assured, that this is God's holy and infallible word. So um, 
Another was the preaching of the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees um, would often lay on the people a burden, a legalistic burden that was too heavy even for them to bear. In uh, Matthew 23, it says, they themselves were unwilling to even move that burden with, with one finger. So you can imagine listening to preaching like that. Instead of the hope of eternal life, you get this legalistic burden throughout the entire preaching message of things that were just way impractical, yet they themselves, those who preached unto you, didn't care about it at all. Jesus, uh, when he began preaching, it was like a breath of fresh air um, for that weary people. Now, you can imagine another way that preaching might have gone, and I've, I've read something about this, that when the Jewish uh, uh, scribes and Pharisees and other people would preach, they would often read the text of Scripture, and then they would cite various theologians. Rabbi Jonas says concerning this text, but the scribe so-and-so says, and I believe this, but so-and-so also believes this, you know, and... There's a lot of preaching like that today, isn't there? Um, theology is magnificent. But if the preacher gets up there and only gives you theology, this is what the Bible says. Here's the doctrine. Now, here's the next doctrine. Here's the next doctrine. This theologian says this. this and then you're going after it. Uh, that's making preaching more like a seminary lecture rather than preaching. Now, the reason Jesus preached with authority and the reason people were fascinated and astonished with his preaching was analyzed by a uh, theologian and pastor named Stuart Aliot. And he analyzed the, the preaching of Jesus and he wrote this little beautiful, tiny, rather small book really, uh, called Ministering Like the Master. I think the first edition was Preaching Like the Master, but then he expanded it. According to Aliot, when analyzing the preaching of Jesus, it included three things. Jesus explained the truth. He taught the theology. He illustrated the truth using everyday normal things in life. The birds of the air, farming practices, fishing, servants, slaves, masters, building a tower, going to war. He used all sorts of illustrations in his preaching. And then he applied the truth. Now, um, the book shortens it this way. State, illustrate, apply. And Jesus does that. In the Sermon on the Mount, he does it repeatedly. States it, he states a truth. He illustrates it, he applies it. And he keeps doing that pattern over and over again throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Pray that I could do that better. Because I want to preach like the Master. I don't always do it. Sometimes I might be heavy on the theology. But we need preaching like that because that's the way Jesus preached and that's what we need to do as well. Christ's preaching with authority in and of itself in a way that was amazing and astonishing and received well by the people that in itself wasn't sufficient to prove Jesus Christ as being the divine eternal Son of God. But I believe what follows next in the text does. Let's look at this second main point. Christ's authority over demons. 
Now, most Jews didn't know the true identity of Jesus. They thought he was the son of Joseph, a carpenter. They didn't know that he was the eternal son of God. But the demons here in today's text knew exactly who he was. Let's look at verses 33 through 34. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. My guess is that the demon couldn't stand listening to the preaching of the word, especially by somebody who really believed it, and especially by hearing the Son of the Eternal Uh, the eternal Son of God. Listening to the voice of the eternal Son of God preaching was something that the demon couldn't stand anymore, and it cried out in protest. Uh, Demons, which are in today's text also called unclean spirits in verse 36, they spend most of their time seeking to sow unbelief, wickedness, hypocrisy, false religion in anyone and everyone that they can. And if you see there in your outline, there's a passage from 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. It says this, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, little g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of of Christ, who is the image of God. The practical tool that I believe the demons and the devil are using in America is atheism. They are getting or trying to convince people that God doesn't exist. And one of the ways, I believe, is a naturalistic worldview. Oh, well, you know, science has disproven the Bible. Science has proven that we have all come from a great big bang and evolved from protoplasm, some goop in a swamp that became a a one-cell creature and then then an amoeba, and then the amoeba gradually became a little slug or something or a tadpole, and then then you had these little creatures gradually, gradually, one day, boom, you have apes, and then later on, men. You gotta have a lot of, some sort of weird faith to believe that happened. Faith in a weird practice or a weird theory called evolution. But we know that God says that God created all things in six days. And he created man from the very dust of the earth without any pre-existing ancestors. But the demons want you to believe their doctrine that none of it's true. None of Genesis is is true, that you can't trust in the creation account, that God doesn't exist. So here you have a demon that wants you to think that God is dead, that God is merely a figment of your imagination. However, at the same time, what does he say? You are the Holy One of God. You see, even though they try to sow atheism, the demons and the devil, they know God exists, but they're liars 
deceivers that want to deceive you. Despite their hypocritical, diabolical deception, they know God exists and they know that Jesus is the Holy One of God who has the authority and the power to cast them into the pit of hell. What else would you expect from diabolical liars and from the father of lies? So this demon then cries out with a loud voice against Jesus' preaching, and but then Jesus demonstrates his divine authority by casting it out of that man. Look at verse 35. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing any harm. What is the difference here in Jesus doing this miracle? If you look back in the Old Testament, we have miracles performed through Elijah and Elisha. The dead were raised by Elisha and Elijah. Both men were able to raise um, those from the dead, uh, raise people from the dead. But no prophet in recorded history has ever been able to cast out a demon or an evil spirit from someone. I, I cannot find any place throughout the Bible where that was done except through the ministry of this Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, we're going to look at this passage, but it says in Luke eleven twenty, But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom has come upon you. It's the finger of God at work when Jesus casts out these demons. But notice the reaction of those who witness this new magnificent sign and wonder. Verses 36 and 37. And amazement, astonishment came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him was spread into every locality in the surrounding district. The word there for message is actually logos uh, in the Greek, which could mean message or word, um, most commonly translated as word. But you could say they were asking, what is this word from God? What is this message, this sign, this wonder from God? This man is casting out evil spirits and they obey him. Again, this wasn't something new in Galilee only. This was something new ever since the creation of the earth. It had never been seen before. It had never been witnessed before. It was a new, mighty, and magnificent thing new to the history of the world. The finger of God was demonstrated in the person of Christ, casting out these wicked demons. The long-awaited Messiah had come to undo the work of the evil one. He came to deliver the captives free, especially those who are bound by sin and the oppression of the devil. Again, in today's text, the life of Jesus demonstrates one that pointed to his divine authority. 
the preaching of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus pointed to his divine authority. Christ's authority was made manifest in how he preached. Now, when some of them listened, they listened unto Jesus and they said, I've never heard preaching like this before. It's as if I'm hearing the very voice of God. And they were the voice of the God-man, Jesus the Messiah, the divine Savior. Christ demonstrated his authority over demons. The demons couldn't stand listening to his preaching, but they said, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Brothers and sisters, I do want to warn you, though, just believing that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the Christ, is not sufficient. The devil believed it. I mean, the demon here believed it, that he was the Holy One of God. But you have to believe more than that. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is not only the Messiah, the Holy Anointed One. You must believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died for your sins, that he rose again for your sins, that he is exalted to the right hand of the Father, and that he ever makes intercession for your behalf. You have to believe more than just than that he is the Holy One of God. But notice this. Jesus Christ has authority over the demons. He has authority over the wicked, evil spirits. Don't you think he has authority to help you in whatever struggle you have? He has authority and power. There is power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Look unto him, not only for your salvation, but for your growth in grace and sanctification. Whatever's troubling you, ask him. He can help you in all these things. Let's pray together. We ask, O Father, that you would help us. Like the saints of old, that we would see that you, O Father, have demonstrated your very hand through your Son, even Jesus our Lord. That Jesus Christ was not only a great preacher, but that Jesus Christ was the eternal Son that you have sent for us as our Savior. Help us, we pray, not just to believe that he is the Christ, the Holy One, but to believe that he is our Savior and our Lord. Forgive us of our sins and help us, we pray, to live not for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. For we pray all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our concluding hymn, a very fitting hymn, 374, we'll stand and sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Let's stand and sing 374.